0: a few uh, baby dedications and generally what happens is the, the, the child comes up and we pray over them and, and then they go and sit back down and then the pastor moves on and talks about, you know, whatever the, the topic is and we're actually in the middle of a bit of a series here at Arise. We've been looking at um, uh, God's Father Heart and we've been looking at that for the last three or four weeks and we've got a few more weeks to go with that but I thought this week since we're, we've are we got a first uh, baby dedication and it seems to me that... Uh, you know, we're multiplying by birthing at the moment. We've just had Tim and Tiff. Uh, Ash and Cam- uh, Ash and, um, and Camo have, have had uh, twins, so they beat you. They're, they're building the church quicker than you guys are. Although you did have two before. They only had one, so it's balanced now. It's all about balance. Life's about balance. Um, but uh, So I thought what we would do this morning is we talk a little bit about um, child dedication and dedicating uh, children. Now, when I found out that we were doing this, the first thing I did is I... I, um, I did a lot of research this week, okay, I want you to know I've spent hours and hours of time, of, of, of time researching this week, this whole topic, and I've been looking at biographies and uh, autobiographies of great and famous people, people that have been used of God to change the world, uh, men, women, uh, rich Poor people from affluent backgrounds, people from not so affluent backgrounds, uh, sporting personalities, entertainers, builders, scientists, theologians, I studied the lives of all these people in the space of a week, I've been busy haven't I, in the space of a week I've done all this um, and I came to one conclusion, there was something I saw, a common thread I saw in every great person that has ever done anything significant on planet earth and here it was and this is quite amazing and by the way those of you that are judging i did go back to the greek and i've gone to the hebrew and i've done all that stuff as well and here's the conclusion i came to here's the one thread of greatness i found in every single person they had all had one thing in common it was this all great people throughout time were born babies every one of them Without one, I could not find a single exception other than Benjamin Button who obviously was born old and then progressively got younger. But outside of Benjamin Button, did you know every person that ever went on to do anything of significance was born a baby? Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that amazing? You can take that from here now. It'll be a great conversation starter. You can show people how smart you are by the middle of... Just throw it in the middle of a conversation. Hey, so Weatherlock... Yeah, by the way, did you know... Everyone was born a baby. If you take nothing else out of today, you've got something worth coming. All great people were born babies. Every person was born a baby. From the time that child came into the world, their children, I think, are loaded with potential. Amen. Kids have packed into them by God this sense of greatness, I think. and And... I, I, one of my, my uh, kids' uh, favourite movies at Christmas time is a movie called, I think it might be called The Santa Claus, is that the one? With, with the elves and Vince Vaughn and he goes to see Sa- Fred Claus, Fred Claus and there's a scene in Fred Claus where, where uh, he gets a job with his brother who happens to be Santa Claus, you may have heard of him, he lives in the North Pole and so Santa hires his brother Fred to come and work with him because um, Fred's in a spot of, of difficulty so he invites him to come to the North Pole and work with me for a bit and get your mind off stuff. <laughs> And he puts him in a room and he gives him a list. And the list has all the, we talked about last week, the the image of God as a Santa Claus. And it had the list is the list of naughty kids and the list of nice kids. And you know what Santa Claus does? The nice kids get the blessing and the gift and the present. The naughty kids, he flies over the roof and doesn't want nothing to do with them. And so Fred Claus has got this list and he's got to give to the nice kids but not give anything to the naughty kids. And he makes this statement. And... He says, as he's looking at the list and he turns to his brother and he goes, you know, there's no such thing as a naughty child. No such thing as a naughty child. When kids are born, they're not naughty. They're not... Kids are shaped, kids are moulded by the environment in which they grow. As I grew up, I was a product of many, many things, the society and its influence around me, the way that my parents disciplined me, the way my parents encouraged me, the way my parents built into my life, the, the, the potential that they either drew out of me or squashed in me. And all these factors shape us and mould us to become the people that we are. That's part of the discipleship process. That's part of what God does with us when we turn our lives over to him. He begins a process of deconstructing a lot of things that have been built in our world that aren't right. And then he builds good things into that and and writes foundations and helps us to see ourselves the way that he sees us, not the way we've been uh, moulded to see ourselves or the way we've been pressured to see ourselves. He helps us see the world around us through his eyes and the way that he sees it. He helps us see value in people. When we're brought up in a society, that says only certain people have value and other people don't. Uh, Where you come from can mean that you have value or you don't. Your academic skills in certain circles means you have value or you don't. Your, your physical prowess at sport means in certain environments you have value or you don't have value. Yet God sees, I think, in every child an incredible amount of value. Not because of what we do. We're not valued by God because of what we do. We're valued by God because of who we are. We're his children. We are formed and fashioned with his hands and put together with his wisdom and his mind. And he looked at us and put these childs together and goes, I know what I've got for you. I know what I want you to do. I can see potential in you. And so he shapes and he molds and he gets involved in our world. It's a beautiful thing. When I think about children, one of the first verses that pops into my head is Psalm 127, uh, verse 3. And I thought it was a good verse to have a little bit of a look at this morning since we're going to dedicate some children. Psalm 100. 27, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children are a gift from the Lord. How many of us have got children in this room? There's a lot of us that have got children in this room. There are some people that love to have children in this room. Children are a gift from God. You know, I forget that sometimes. I've got uh, my 21-year-old or 20-year-old son sitting up the back there and he's going to be 21 later this year and I've got my uh, 17-year-old son sitting up the back and my 12-year-old daughter. My 18-year-old son's at Kyogre at the moment uh, playing football this morning. And, you know, as kids get older, sometimes you can forget that they're a gift. I don't know if you're like me, but the humanity in me sometimes forgets that they're actually a gift from God. And you know, sometimes I sometimes I feel a bit like Adam. I want to blame, uh, like, uh, you know, I want to blame. You know, Adam says, "God, you gave me Eve, and she go, this is your problem." God, the woman you gave me, she's caused all this pain. You and her go around the back behind the tree and sort this out, and come back to me when you got an answer. It's not my fault. It's you guys. Yeah. You know, sometimes God, well, this isn't my fault, you gave me these kids. Yeah. Sometimes it can be easy to forget that children are a gift from God. But I think it's important that we understand that they are actually indeed a gift from God. That word gift in the Hebrew is a word nakolo. And this is what it means. It means that children are an inheritance, a possession, a property. And here's the word I like, an heirloom. An heirloom. Ever had a precious heirloom passed down from, say, great-grandparents or something of significance or value, and they've passed it down, they've given it to you? And you understand what makes that thing so precious is, is, is not necessarily the thing itself always. Sometimes it can be the fact that this has come from a previous generation. This has belonged to somebody else who's loved this thing, purchased this thing, paid a price for this thing, and they pass it down through generations and so on. And that's the picture that we get with our children, that our children actually belong to God. But they are passed down to us to nurture for X amount of years and to to protect and to love and to instill value and a sense of worth into them and to shepherd these children as they navigate their way through life. But ultimately, we all belong to our Heavenly Father. And our children are a gift from God. And when we look at those children, when they come out, um, you remember the day that your kids were born and you looked at this thing and you were so full of Love and passion, and and you're looking at this little child. But I don't know if you're like me, but I've shared with with the regular arise people before. When I first saw my kids, my mind already raced ahead fifty years. I knew exactly what they were going to be, where they were going to be. I knew that my kids were going to be the smartest kids on planet Earth. I knew. Oh, I just knew it. I don't tell me how. I just knew it by looking at that little wet, glistening thing. There, all like a. Roly dog with all the looking at that thing. I knew right then and there that this is the this is the greatest human being. That you, I was struck with that revelation. God, this is the greatest human being you've ever sent to Earth. Besides Jesus, this is the greatest human being, and that's how I felt when my oldest son Caleb was born. And then what was amazing was when my next boy Jonathan was born. You know, I got the same revelation. That is the greatest human being that you've ever sent to planet Earth. And he gave him to me, you know? And then, of course, I repeated the process with my third and with my fourth. You, you've seen that super cheap auto ad that used to be on where the, they're sitting around the lounge room and the dad opens up the thing and he gets a gift card. Anyone seen that ad? Super cheap gift card. And he looks at the card and the kid has to explain to him, it's a gift card, dad. He goes, no, it's not. This could be spark plugs. This could be spanners. This could build a car. This could pull a car apart. This could be a paint. This And he builds his crescendo and he stands up and he goes... This could be anything. And that's kind of how we feel with our kids, isn't it? We look at them and and they could be anything. There's anything that they want to do, they could become. Anything they want to achieve, they can achieve. That's how they start out and that's how we look at them when they're born because our children are a gift from God. And we honestly believe that they can be anything in life. But we have a role that we play as parents in that process. There are no guarantees of the outcome, but we do have a role that we play throughout that process. The passage of Scripture that mostly I've heard uh, preached about or talked about, referred to when it comes to baby dedications is, of course, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, the story of Samuel. We all know the story. Uh, we don't need to go there and read it. But, uh, You've got uh, Elkanah and he's got two wives and, and Hannah, one of his wives, is barren and of course the other wife has children and she um, makes fun of, of, um, of uh, Hannah because you don't have any children and plus culturally to be barren was considered a, that you were cursed and so on. There's a whole bunch of things going on there and Hannah, in a desperate moment, just cries out to God and says, Lord, give me a child and if you give me this child, I will dedicate this child back to you. And as the story unfolds, Hannah falls pregnant and God gives her the the cry of her heart and she gives birth to this child that we know today as Samuel. Who would have thought who would have thought when Hannah gave birth that her son, her child would be one of the most significant figures in the history of Israel? Who would have thought that? You know? We we just don't know, do we? When our children come into the world we just don't know. That's, I think, part of what's exciting in in being a parent and watching your children grow and and, and getting a sense from God. Okay, Lord, what, what how do we deal with these situations? What do we do, God? What I don't want to squash things in them that you have placed in them. you know. And you see that a lot, kids with creativity that are a little left field or something and they get squashed and that gets pushed down in them because it might not be the right thing. Maybe I'm more sporty, not academic, so I squash the academic side down and try to not let them get ahead of themselves and push them over here into sport when god's going you know what i actually put an incredible brain in that person and i want to do something with that so parenting we we navigate and we try to do the best we can (laughs) to help these children grow now when i looked at the story there's a couple of things that are very unique about samuel's dedication um the first one is this that uh they made a nazarite vow henna said we're not going to cut his hair now i'm just going to ask you guys a question you're going to cut your kids hair you will at some point Okay, so we can, we can get rid of that one. So there's, there's no point trying to go there with that story and going, well, baby dedications, it's all based on that because well, look, they didn't cut hair. You're going to cut your kids' hair. That's beautiful. It's a great thing. I suggest you do that. Um, so we can wind that one out. The second thing that was unique to Samuel's dedication is that at three years of age, between two and five years of age when he was weaned, Samuel was literally taken to the temple and left there as a child. You're taking your kids home, aren't you, today? You are, aren't you? Okay. Just checking. So if you're going to take your kids home and you're going to cut their hair, we can take those two things out. Those two things are unique to the birth and dedication of Samuel. But there are a couple of things in that story that are not unique. There are a couple of things in there that have some relevance for us today, and particularly for those of us when it comes to things like this where we're thinking about our children our parenting and we're dedicating our kids to the Lord. Did you know that Samuel was dedicated to God before he was born? Samuel was dedicated to the Lord before he was born. The act of taking him to the temple and going through all that ritual. The Bible tells us very clearly that Samuel had already been dedicated to God in the heart of his mother before he was born. And you know, I think as Christian parents, that's probably the case for most of us. We, we enter this thing with the highest of expectation that we would have children that would grow. They would, would grow not only and be great in this natural world, and a bit like Jesus who grew in wisdom and stature, in favour with men and in favour with God. And that's what we want with our kids. Before our kids are even born, we've already, uh, many of us, decided that that's what we want. If we haven't decided that, then I think that we should decide that. That when, when, when God gives me a gift of a child, that I want to raise that child the best I can and give that child the best opportunity to know God. And to grow up with a a strong uh, faith and an understanding of who God is. Uh, Children can't run on my faith. My kids can't run on my faith. I can carry them to a certain point. But there's a point where they've got to make their own decision. That they want to follow God. They've got to make their own decision. That they want to uh, prioritize spiritual things. That they want to think about eternity. And not just this tiny drop in the bucket of 60, 70 years that we have here on planet Earth. But Samuel was dedicated in the heart of his mother before He was even born. According to the culture of the day, her husband could have overridden that decision to dedicate that child. Um, She made this decision to dedicate the child, but if Elkanah, if her husband had said no, then culturally that would have null and voided that vow before the Lord. So Samuel had a mother and a father. Not just a mother, there was both there. And it's interesting to me that after a year... Elkan is getting his family together and he gathers everybody and he tells the kids to you know, load up the camels and, you know, and check there's petrol in it and all that sort of stuff. And he goes back into the house and he says to Hannah, he says to her, um, let's go. And she says, no, I'm going to stay here. Until I've weaned this child, children who are generally weaned somewhere between the age of two to five. We don't know exactly how old Samuel was when he was taken to the temple, but he was somewhere between two and five. When I was reading that this week, it suddenly struck me that this really happened. There was a price to be paid for the parents when they dedicated their child to God. Now, we're not going to take our children and leave them somewhere else. I mean, you know, maybe the kids might go to boarding school, whatever, that's a personal thing. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is that these are very real people. And when they dedicated their child to God, there was a cost to that. When Hannah said, I'm going to stay here, I'm not coming with you, I'm going to wean this child, now, Hannah's response to her could have been, now, hang on a second, we've taken this thing a little bit too far. I mean, I would have been, I don't know how I would react in that situation. Okay, you've had your run. We've got this child. You're whinging about not having a child. Now you've got a child and now you want to go and give the child away to a temple and not have the child again. Are you serious? You know, I would have had all kinds of things running through my head. But this man said to her, you do what you think is best. That was his way of saying, if you can go through with this vow, we'll do it. If you can follow through with this commitment, then I'm with you. We'll go together and we'll do this. Because there was a price to be paid for both of them. You know, when we dedicate our children to God, you know there is a price that we pay as parents. There's a price that we pay. And the question that we've got to ask ourselves, and the question I would put to, to Tim and Tiff today, is to ask yourself that question. As we dedicate your children to God, are you prepared to pay the price, whatever that may be down the track, with your children? Yeah, you know, I've got friends of mine and they, they used to go to the church we used to pastor years ago. Great, great Christian family, wonderful Christian couple. And they had uh, three children. Went to a great uh, youth that was thriving. Their kids came into the youth group. Their kids had their own encounters with God. They wanted to follow the Lord and go hard after God. <laughs> one day, one of the boys came home and said to mum and dad, you know what, I feel like I'm called to be a youth pastor. I want to be a youth pastor. I don't know how you'd respond to that and what you would think about that. Personally, I'd be over the moon and excited if my kids felt called to do something like that. This parent turned around and said to them, why would you want to do something like that? And basically talked them out of this desire to want to go into doing youth ministry and working with young kids. This young kid felt this call of God that this is what he was meant to do. And I think, if I'm really honest, at that point, that's where those moments kick in, where what, what, is, what is it about raising... Are we raising children for our own desires and what we think they should do? Or are we open to the fact that God has a plan and God has a call on these children? Are we sensitive enough to him and are we prepared to lay down our own agendas? And it gets harder and harder as our children grow up. I wonder what Mother Teresa's parents thought when she said, I'm going to give up everything and come live in Calcutta and work amongst People in slums. Anyone ever been to, to Calcutta? Been there? It's, it's, it's a hardcore place. Hardcore place. And you go and you look at the slums that this woman worked in and gave her life to these people. How would, how would you feel as a parent if your child came and said, I feel that God's called me to go and work amongst the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. How would I respond to that? How would you respond to that? Now, this boy, he was an incredibly academic person and very smart, very intelligent. And his parents, very academic, high-paying jobs and and qualified people and very much going down that path and disciplining their kids you have to study. And do, and they were great kids. And the parents, don't get me wrong, wonderful, wonderful parents. But a pivotal moment in that child's life where that child who now has their own relationship with God is going, Mom and Dad, I feel like God's calling me to be a youth pastor which, by the way, I think is an incredibly noble and, and, and necessary call these days, especially because what kids are getting in school, they're getting less and less of Jesus, they're getting told more and more stuff about um, the Big Bang and, and uh, evolution and everything like that, and there's not many voices getting around them now and, and, and trying to give them the other side of the story. So I, I think youth pastors and chaplains in schools, man, pray for you, is power to you. It's an awesome call. And these parents turned around and went, why would you want to do that? You know, to this day... That child, that young man, no longer fellowships in church, he no longer, you know. I'm not saying that it was because of what those parents did. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying now is it could have been a completely different outcome if they were sensitive enough to God to go, not my will but yours be done with this child. You see, when we talk about dedicating children, what we're really doing is we're dedicating parents. We're really dedicating parents. Because it's the parents that have all the action to do now. It's the parents that walk the journey now. It's the parents that are going to get up from here and go on and do something with what takes place today. So we dedicate these children to God, but we dedicate parents to that journey of walking with those children raising those children and being able to, as they go along that journey, consistently ask themselves the question, God, where are you in this? Lord what are you saying in this situation god how do we how do we shepherd this child so that we can get this child to the place god that you want them to be not necessarily what i want them to be because maybe maybe your unique child could be the next mother teresa maybe your unique child could be the next could be the next prime minister of australia you know we don't know it could be the next captain of the west tigers we just you know you know not a lot of money in that job but you know you you just never know there were practical things that Elkanah and Hannah had to do along the way that weren't always ideal for them. But they dedicated their child to God. Dedicating our children to God is not a one-time event. It's a process. And we constantly go back throughout that process. I might get Tim and Tiff to come on up now. You want to bring your... Children up here. (laughs) That's all right, that's fine. That's all good. That's all good. She probably won't captain the West Tigers. (laughs) She probably plays as good as half the team at the moment. So there's an old saying and the saying is this, it takes a village to raise a child. Has anyone ever heard that saying before? It takes a village to raise a child. It just simply means that that as a, a, a children are influenced by more than just mum and dad. And, and as we stand here this morning and we want to pray with you guys and, and, and dedicate your children to the Lord, we also pray for you too as you walk that journey. Because as you would already know with your children that that it takes a lot of wisdom to raise a child. And we're daily falling on the grace of God and going, look, God... Anyone ever read parenting books? What I hate about those books is that they work for certain personalities. They don't take into consideration the uniqueness of every human being that is alive on planet Earth. You know, it's like um, the five steps to this, the two ways to that. It just doesn't take in the uniqueness. And you've got incredibly unique and beautiful children. And each of you are incredibly unique and beautiful people as well. And you put that uniqueness together, you come up with an even more unique meal, you know, And then you chuck those three unique personalities of children. And it's a unique family and every family is unique. said so we want to pray um, uh, for your children, pray for you as well. But also I think as a, as a church family, as a community, that we will commit ourselves as well to, in our interactions and so on with these children as they grow up, to be the best role models we can be, to be the best expressions of, of God, to these children in our conversations with them. And I'm not just talking about now. I mean, this—you uh, know your children and I may be sitting down when they're 16 years of age talking to them, as, as uh, and Rob does a lot and a lot of you do too here. As we've been coming here with our kids, a lot of the older people, uh, and I say that respectfully, older people have inbe- invested a lot into our kids and chatted with them. And, you know, Johnny, I can use Johnny as an example because he's not here right now, but you know one of the most influential things in the life of Arise for Jonathan has been, Rob, you having conversations with him. It's funny that, isn't it? Because you wouldn't know that until I tell you that right now. But one of the things that he loves about Arise, when he gets a chance to get here, he's playing footy today, he has said specifically, I love chatting to Rob, you know? Go figure, the kid's an 18-year-old football head, sleeps until midday, seems to not care about anything but football and fun, and yet he loves to come to Arise and have conversations with Rob, you know? So we commit as a church family as well. That we will will stand with you guys. We'll pray for you guys on this journey. That if there's any uh, thing we can do to support you guys outside of that and help you guys as well, because it's an amazing thing you're doing. And uh, we all would agree here that you guys are amazing people. And it's a real blessing to have you in the life of the church. So let's pray.
1: Hello. Just while we do pray, I just want to acknowledge um, Tim and Tiff's extended family. I think one of the saddest things in the West is we don't embrace the extended family to the same degree that a lot of other cultures do. And I know just as bystanders along your journey, your recent journey with your health, seeing your parents, your siblings rally the troops and get in and fill the gaps and stand and pray with them has been a real blowout to us as a church community. And so we just want to acknowledge and recognize Tim and Tiff's extended family that have come and joined us this morning. We all know who've got extended family. No one in the life of a child replaces grandparents. No one replaces them like aunties and uncles there. We can be surrogates, but there's nothing like the real deal. And we just honor you and your love for your kids and obviously your love for your grandbabies as well.
0: do a raspberry
1: father we do thank you this morning god that just for that gentle reminder that children are a gift from you father that they are not our idea father they're not our um, even our, not even got a, a thought in mm. our mind father before you actually planted it and god we just want to remember that this morning that each one of these three little ones in the Harris family, were thought of way Mm. before Tim and Tiff were even on the earth. God, you had this beautiful plan that this two young couple would meet, fall in love, God, and bring forth beautiful Mm. fruit. And Lord, we want to just this morning honour you and recognise your hand on this family. Father, we thank you for Tim and Tiff. God, we thank you that in this couple there is a heart to serve you, Mm. a heart to love you. Father, a heart to raise a family, Mm. After your heart, God. And Father, we bless them this morning in Jesus' name. Father, we pray over the children. God, we thank you in Jesus' name for each one of them. Father, we thank you that within these little bodies are gifts and talents that can only come from you, that Father, when you look at these little ones, you see destiny, Mm. Father, you see blessing, you see purpose, you see calling, God. And Father, as a church family, we want to say this morning, God, that we make room at the table Mm. for these three little blessings. Father, we celebrate with this family the incredible gift that each one of these children are. God, we pray for Tim and Tiff that you would give to them wisdom beyond their years. God, in the easy moments, we pray joy, blessing and love would surround their home. But, Father, in the challenging moments, we all know that the path isn't always straight. There are a few little left-hand corners and right-hand swerves that come. God, gives this couple wisdom. Give them grace. Father, give them unconditional love in their heart for their children. God, we pray... For Everett, we pray for Lila and we pray for little Jane. God, raise these little ones up in the house of God always. Father, mm. watch over them, care for them, love them, protect them. Mm. Keep them, Father, under your wing until such time, God, as you ordain to send them out in whatever it is, mm. Father, great. that you've called them to do. And God, I pray for Tim and you give them ears to hear, give them a heart to understand what it is you've purposed in each one of their children. Mm. Father, we commit the family into your hands this morning in Jesus' wonderful name. Mm. Mm. Amen.
0: Amen. Bless you guys. No? She's snuggled up nice and safe there. With with mum. Well, we've got little gifts here too that we wanted to give you. As well for your kids, so uh, um, are they colour coded? No? They're, are they? They should have. They, they are. What's the colour coding? Okay, I'm sure you'll work it out. But that's that's for your, your children from her eyes, and there's a card there for you, too, guys. So, yeah, that's yours. You can get into that, rip them open. Like a present, just tear it open, throw it away. <laughs> um, just before we close, I want to close with a. a we're going to go back and sing that song, Good, Good Father, again before we finish up. But I just want to throw something else out for us to have a bit of a think about. Um, Proverbs 22.6 says this. It says, Direct your children onto the right path. When they are older, they will not leave it. Anyone ever read that scripture? Direct your kids, the right. when they're older, they won't leave it? I was talking to Jackie some time back and Jackie goes has been along to many women's conferences and meetings and things and and she used to always come home and go, you know, the Proverbs thirty one woman. We've all heard the the teaching on the Proverbs thirty one woman. Apparently, um, if you you listen to the the conferences and a lot of the preachers, she gets out of bed at about three twenty five in the morning. She milks the cow, she gets the eggs. She mows the lawn so her husband doesn't have to do it. Uh, then she's back in the house. She's showered. She's dressed. Hair's immaculate. At 6 o'clock, she wakes the children, gets them up. They've got bacon and eggs already there. Husband wakes up about 70. She's already got the coffee there. Uh, he's got whatever it is that he wrote on the, the sheet of paper the night before and left it on a bedside for breakfast, steak, eggs, whatever. It's there. She's not dirty. There's no fat on her jumper or nothing from the cooking, too. She managed to stay perfectly clean, not a hair out of place. Her earrings are glistening. It's a beautiful picture then she manages to take the children to school drops them off she comes home packs her husband's lunch gets him off to work and then uh, by that stage I guess she sits down she prays for an hour maybe two opens the word of God and then runs off to her own business, which by the way, she's running her own business as well. And then she runs the business and it's the most successful business and uh, everything's going right there. But she's always home in time to get the kids after school and to get them home. And every time the kids get home, there's milk and cookies there for them to have. And by the time her husband gets home, dinner is already there. It's sitting on the plate. The steam's coming off at perfect timing. She always nails it, this woman. <laughs> and Jackie comes home quite often and she said to me, you know, sometimes what should be a really nice thing ends up being really somewhat condemning. We feel like... I can never match up. Because most most of the time we're going, well, you know what, I'm doing the best I can and I'm falling on the grace of God every day and you're saying that I should be like this. I'm down here but I'm depending on God and trying my best. And sometimes things that are meant to be encouragement to us or wisdom for us can end up being quite condemning. I don't know about you, but I've been in environments where the Word of God—it's a really powerful thing. No matter which way you use it, you can use it in a good way, in the right way. But you can also use it in a very manipulative way, a very controlling way, and so on as well. And we've probably all experienced that in our journey. This can be one of the most condemning scriptures that I know about for a parent. Direct your children under the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Those of you that know a little bit about the Bible would understand that. Um, not everything in the Bible is written with the exact same intention and purpose. Uh, anyone ever been to the local library? Yep. And you walk in there and what's one of the first things you see? All the shelves have these little signs, don't they? And they represent different, what? Different genres. We've got science fiction over here, and we've got autobiographical over here, and we've got sports and on. Well, the Bible, when it was originally written, was written in different types of genres too. That is not a, a new thing. That About 20 years ago, some librarian went... Hey, let's make genres. That's awesome. What a great idea. It'd be easy for people to find their books then. That's not a new thing. Way back in ancient times, and literature has been exactly the same. Things were written in certain ways and styles. Some of the Bible is historical. Some of it is written to teach. Uh, Some of it is written as wisdom. Some of it is poetry. There's different styles and genres in the Word of God. And this happens to come out of the book of Proverbs, which is what they call wisdom literature. It's not a promise. There's no promise that if you raise your child this way, with a 100% stamp sealed, delivered promising you that that child will not walk this way but will always go this way. And sometimes when people use these, these wisdom literature and they use this wisdom and put it across as a promise, it can make people feel really, really condemned. I don't know every person in this room right now and I don't know where all uh, those of you that have children, I don't know where your children are at. Uh, what I do want to say is this. If your children right now are not walking the way that you would like them to walk, if they're not living the way that you dreamt and wished that they would live, first of all, let me, let me say to you, please don't take that scripture to heart and go, that means I've failed. You know, if that was a promise from God, a guaranteed promise from God, there's a couple of things that would have to happen. Number one, you'd have to nail every decision. I mean, you would have to nail every single decision on that journey. Who's done that so far? Hands up if you have. I'll put my hands down i put them through the floor if I could, okay? I have not nailed every decision. But for that to become a promise, you would have to nail every single situation you find yourself in. You'd have to get it perfectly right every single time for 18 years or whatever for every single child every day. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. That's hard, you know? Thank God for his grace because we don't do that. But we would have to nail everything. And then the second thing that would have to happen is God would then have to take away the very most important gift he gave to anybody in your children, that is their free will. He would have to take that free will out and go, now because your parents nailed it, you now don't have a choice to not walk that way. It doesn't work like that. It's wisdom. What Proverbs is saying is that if you want your children to turn out this way, you want your children to turn out godly, you want to give them the best chance at walking in the will of God and the purposes of God for their life, hey, here's what you need to do. You know, Put them on that right path. Teach them. Don't just leave it up to chance. Don't let the school teachers tell them this is what your moral compass should look like. Don't let uh, the world around you, don't let the television, don't let MTV disciple your kids. It's saying you put them on the right path. You teach them the word of God. You encourage them and so on. But the point is that it doesn't always work out the way that we want it to. We wish that it did, but it doesn't always. But there's no condemnation for us. That was not written for any of us to feel condemned or to feel guilty because things didn't turn out exactly the way that we wanted them to be i've been reading a book from a guy called brennan manning anyone ever heard of brennan manning he used to be a a catholic priest and had a journey uh, lapsed in and out of of alcoholism and and would come back out of it and 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 have a lot of struggles very honest and very raw about his journey with the lord uh he went to be with god about probably about eight nine ten years ago but he ended up running retreats for people and uh, they would go away for a week and just Open up the Word of God and, and let the Word of God soak in them, and they 'd meditate on little verses and so on and all this sort of stuff. anyway, he wrote a book, and the book 's called abba 's child it 's a beautiful book, and I just want to finish with this quote that he says. He says, "Because the shining sun and the falling rain are given both to those who live both to those who love God and to those who reject God." The compassion of the sun embraces those who are still living in sin. If your children right now are not doing everything you want, let me, hopefully you draw some comfort out of this. Because the shining sun and the falling rain are given both to those who love God and to those who reject God, the compassion of the sun embraces those who are still living in sin. The Pharisee lurking within all of us shuns sinners. Jesus turns toward them with gracious kindness. He sustains his attention throughout their lives for the sake of their conversion, which is always possible to the very last moment. I love that. He sustains his attention throughout their lives for the sake of their conversion, which is always possible to the very last moment. What I want to do now is we're going to finish with this this song. We'll always sing Good, Good Father. Some of you might be sitting here and uh, thinking, well you know, my time is over. I had my chance to dedicate my kids, but maybe that moment is gone. You know, I feel that God wants to encourage you today that that moment's not gone because the decision to dedicate our kids to God is a daily decision. It's not a one-off. It's a daily thing. And you can make a decision right now. I don't care if your kids are three. I don't care if your kids are 30 or 50. You can make a decision right now to go, well, God, I, I want to make the decision to dedicate myself to helping them find that right path. God, give me the ability to be gracious where I need to be gracious, to give wisdom where I need to give wisdom. God, help me to hear your heartbeat and hear your heart for my kids, even though right now they may be way over here, way left field, and and, and doing things that you just feel like I just am so anti, I can't endorse. But yet, I believe that God wants you to, in your heart, make a decision that it's never too late to dedicate our kids to the Lord. So we might just finish with that song. We'll all stand together. I'll get Jordan to come back. And just while we're singing that song, maybe in your heart, you might want to pray just for your children. You might want to pray for your kids. They might be here. They might not be here. Uh, they might be in a church somewhere else. They might not be fellowshipping anywhere. But I believe that as parents, at no point... Do I stop being my children's parent, whether they're one year of age or whether they're 50? I'm still called of God to be a parent. And as a parent, I still feel that I have a responsibility to continue to teach them and to dedicate them to God and to dedicate myself to helping them find that path that God has for them this morning. So, Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your word today, God. And Father, thank you, Lord, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you, Father, for each child in this room, God. We, we thank you that, uh, God, we're surrounded by so many gifts of God. And for each parent in this room, Lord, I pray, uh, God, an extra special measure of grace today, Lord, that we would embrace uh, the tough decisions that need to be embraced on the way. That, Father, as parents, we would understand that these children, ultimately, they belong to you. That we are stewards of a wonderful, wonderful gift called children. And, Father, help us to have the wisdom. Help us to hear your heartbeat and help us to do what we can to play our part in directing them so that at that right time, Father, you can release them into all that you have for them, Father, and make this world a better place. Again, Lord, for the freedom that we have uh, here in this country to gather together this morning, Lord, to worship you. God, to open up a Bible, to have a look at it. Lord, I pray for uh, God the next week. God, keep each of us safe, Father. I pray we'd have a great rest of the week. Lord, I pray that each of us would have an opportunity somewhere this week to tell somebody that doesn't know you how great you are and what a wonderful father you are, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless, guys. Have a great week. Uh, Have a great afternoon celebration of your children. If you haven't spoke to them for a while and you can, ring them up, tell them you love them, say hello. If you can't, maybe go and ask God to help you. Bless you, guys.